All right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, welcome to the house. It's so good to have our Faith Church family here in Florence. Can we show some love and welcome our Faith Church family in Shoals, our Faith Church family in Lawrenceburg, getting everybody else watching online. Thanks so much for being a part of the service today. Uh, man, so grateful to have everybody here in the house. Come on, we say it every week. We believe that Jesus, he's the hope of the world. So whoever you are, whatever you're going through, your issue, your hurt, your heartache, or your habit, we believe you open up your life to Jesus. It'll be the greatest decision you've ever made. How many of you already know that's true? Come on, let's make some noise for a good God and his grace. Come on, somebody. Well, listen, we want to just acknowledge a lot of people probably traveling for uh, spring break. Y'all travel safe. We're glad you're tuning in this morning, getting the word while you travel. Well, listen, we're starting a brand new series today entitled Shades of Gray. Shades of Gray. It's going to be a four-week series. I want to encourage you guys to be here for each week of this. Um, someone had posted on our social media page uh, kind of a snide remark like, well, it's, you know, like they thought we were preaching on the movie Shades of Gray. And I was like, newsflash, we already did. Thanks for playing. Uh, if you weren't here when the movie first came out, I, it's been a long time. We actually took this entire wall, drilled. Uh, we were supposed to be 50 shades, but 50 was out of balance. So it was actually 57 shades. We drilled holes and had lamps to the four-week dating series. You can go back and listen to that. So been there, done that. This is a different series. <laughs> well, listen, we're glad you guys are here again. I hope you, uh, hope you tune in for each of these messages. I believe they'll challenge you and inspire you to move further, faster in your walk with Jesus. Uh, let's jump in this way. How many people remember maybe some of the rules that you had in your household growing up as a kid? How many people had rules? Well, let's do this. How many people had no rules? Yeah. A couple of you did. Well, you acted like you did. We call you the youngest in the house, <laughs> which I was. Let's try again. How many people remember some rules you had as kids? Like you can remember things written down or things that were told. All of us, we had rules in the house as children. I can remember some of the rules that I had to live by. And we didn't have a lot of rules. As I started thinking about this question... I remember really our parents just raised us kind of right, and there were things we just kind of knew were right and wrong. We didn't really have to be told, but we did have rules, right? There were some things that were very, very clear. Um, we had to, for example, we had to clean our room every day. Now, again, clean is, you know, kind of a subjective term, uh, which means you just pull the main cover up and hide the sheets that you didn't bother to fix. So we'd have to clean our room every day. I remember we'd have to clean uh, two rooms. I had Again, two brothers. We each had to clean two rooms every Friday. I mean, there were, my parents were just, you know, cruel overlords. Two rooms a week, uh, you know, conversations like this. Um, you know, we had to be polite, had to make sure we used manners. When we talked to people, we had to be respectful. We were always told going into someone's houses, don't touch anything. One of the funny rules I thought about as a kid, you know, some of the rules were things like this. Um, you know, don't, uh, don't talk to strangers and don't get into a car with strangers. We call that Uber today. <laughs> but it's funny, some of the rules uh, that we had, you know, again, were just kind of clear. They were repeated, things that my parents expected from us, things they told us to do and to not do. And I remember very, very clearly being told to not take things that are not yours. You don't take things that don't belong to you. In fact, my two older brothers, I don't even know if I was born, they were pretty young. I was told the story that uh, my mom is checking out one day in the grocery store, and you know, they always have the, all the stuff you can grab last minute on your way out, and my mom gets out in the car, and she's loading the groceries out of the cart into the car, and my brothers are like chewing on some bubble gum. And mom's like, where'd you get the bubble gum? They're like, right there in the store. It's like, all you want right there on the way out. And so my mom made my two brothers, again, they were small, made them walk back in, admit to this clerk they stole this gum and they had to pay for it. And it was a life lesson. But like, again, this idea, we were told you don't take stuff that doesn't belong to you. Uh, here was one. Uh, you, had to come in when the streets, uh, you had to come in when the street lights were on. That's how we knew when curfew was, right? When the street lights were on. 
But here's what I want you to hear today. In all the rules that we had and all the rules that you had, there is a difference between preferences and principles. For example, a curfew, that's a preference. Honesty, that's a principle. And when you think about the difference between those two, hear this, you can compromise preferences, but not principles. A curfew can be different for everybody. There's, you know, if you, if, you're, uh, if you have a curfew as a kid, your curfew if you're six is different than your curfew when you're 10. Your curfew when you're 10 is different than your curfew when you're 16. And you eventually reach a place as a person where you don't need a curfew. So a curfew, hear this again, a curfew is a preference. Honesty is a principle. So while a curfew might be different for every individual, principles are the same for everybody. I want you to hear this this morning as we jump into this series. There is a morality that every single person on the planet is called to meet. Now, I know that that's not what culture says. That's not what our community says. Our community says your truth, my truth, their truth, our truth. Almost like this idea that that truth is somehow subjective. And I want you to know, hear this today, that that truth is, is not subjective. In fact, if you're taking notes, as we have this conversation today on shades of morality, morality, hear this, morality is the personal and social standard of conduct. It is a personal and social, it's for everybody, personal and social standard of conduct that God has revealed as right and wrong. So this conversation of your truth and my truth is not truth. There is an absolute truth. And if you don't, if you don't lean into if you don't lean into God's morality, if you don't lean into God's standards, then we're, laced, we're left chasing social standards that change. There's things today that are okay that wasn't okay when I was a kid. There was things that, are, that were okay when I was a kid, wasn't okay for the generation before. So the social standards keep shifting, but God's truth is forever. Everybody say God's truth. That there is a level, there is a standard we need to look at. Think about how culture is shifting and changing constantly in front of our faces. And again, you might be a younger generation and it's just acceptable because it's all you know. But when you've lived a little longer and you got some, you got a little less tread on your tires, you can look around and say, things keep shifting and changing. There's things that used to be right that are no longer right, things that are wrong that are no longer wrong. It seems like we're living in an upside down world. Now, if truth, if morality, if there is no standard, if it's all subjective, then who really cares? But if there is a standard, if there is a moral standard we're called to keep, then what this this conversation matters. There is a right and there is a wrong. Again, morality is a personal social standard that God has set. And what it looks like is this. It's not just true for me. It's true for all people. Everybody say all people. And it's not just true now. It's true for all times. And it's not just true here. It's true everywhere. That's the, that's the way you identify God's standard. Again, it's not just true for me. It's true for everybody. White or black, rich or poor, true for everybody. It's not just true here in America. It's true whether you live in Germany or you live in Australia. doesn't matter where you live. God's standard is true everywhere. And it's not just true now. It was true 100 years ago, and it'll be true 100 years from now. Again, this, the, the preference of curfew was one thing, but the principle of being honest in the house I was raised, that is God's standard. And again, it's, people shouldn't steal here. They shouldn't steal anywhere. They shouldn't steal now. They shouldn't steal anytime. They shouldn't steal, come on, where we live, they shouldn't steal anywhere. Come on, y'all. There is a standard of truth. 
There is something that God has called all of us to live to. And the challenge, I think, of the time and the season we're living and the difficulty of this conversation for us is this is so often forgotten and pushed to the side and not talked about that I just want you to know this morning, I acknowledge today's going to be a little tense. But I believe this is a message that God's people needs to hear, that people who want to pursue a relationship with Jesus, we need to know that while God's grace is real and God's grace is amazing and we're thankful that he covers our sin, we're thankful that he forgives our sin, that is not an excuse to live however we want and to put our finger in the sky and say, I'm not living to your level, God. It is saying, God, we recognize who you are, what you called us to, and we're going to live to the level that you have set because you are God and we are not. We are submitted to you as a society, whether we recognize, when I say society, I don't know not everybody serves God, but we believe here in this house that God is real, he's our creator, he's our savior, and he's our standard. Come on, does anybody here believe that? And the challenge is when you start to move away from this, this absolute truth to pursue your personal truth, when we move away from God's standard to a cultural standard, to a, to, to a societal standard, what happens is we become exactly who Jesus said. We become the house that's built on sinking sand. We become the ship that's tossed by every wind of doctrine. We become the people who's deceived by every new teaching. And that is what's happening in the culture we live. And so God comes down, he gives us this standard. He calls us to this moral law, this moral standard. And again, it is whether you believe it or not, whether you like it or not, it is something that is put on every single person. Now, in this conversation of morality and God, there's a philosophical conversation. It's called, it's called, uh, called the moral argument, the moral argument. And the moral argument goes like this. Number one, there's three parts to it. It's pretty simple. Number one, every law has a lawgiver, right? If you're driving down the road and you see a stop sign, nobody thinks for one second, oh, that stop sign just materialized there. It just grew up in nature. Nobody sees a stop sign and thinks that's there on accident. Everybody, as soon as you see a speed limit sign, you know that was put there on purpose by a person. When you walk into a grocery store and it says shoplifters will be prosecuted, like that didn't just show up on the window. That's a law. That's a rule. That's a standard. And somebody put that there. Somebody was intentional to place that there. So when we talk about any law, every law has a Lawgiver. Everybody say that. Every law has a lawgiver. Number two in the moral argument, there is a moral law. There is a moral standard. There is, there is a God standard. Now, again, you might be new here and say, man, I don't know about this. I don't know if I believe in that. We're going to dig into some of this today. But for most of us in this house, most of us in Lawrenceburg or Shoals, we recognize there's a moral law. We say there's a moral law. God gave us the moral law through his word. When you read and you peel back the pages of scripture, every command, Old Testament and new, it's God's moral law. It's his standard of what he's called us to. It's the level of conduct that he's called us all to carry ourselves to. That there is a moral law. Now, I say there's a moral law. You know, it didn't just come through the words. So the Ten Commandments, God's moral law. The Sermon on the Mount, God's moral law. The call to love one another, God's moral law. And it's through God's moral law that we not only know and recognize what is good, but we also recognize what is evil. If God's called us to love everybody and he has, everybody say love. You got to say it with a little bit, of, a little bit of stank on it, love. If God's called us to love one another, we know what love looks like. Love is generosity. Love is sacrifice. 
Love is equality. And if you believe those are attributes of love, then we right away know what evil is. Because if, if we're called to love, and we are, and love looks like generosity, then selfishness and greed is evil. Right away, you start to recognize that. If, if equality is a part of love, that we love everybody equally, then discrimination should be quickly recognized as evil. Well, where do we get that from? So when I say there is a moral law, if you're here and you're not even sure about the Bible, I want you to know whether you believe in the Bible, read the Bible, whether you're a Christian or not, I want you to know something that it is entwined in who you are as a person made in the image of God, even made in the image of the God you may not believe in, his law is a part of who you are. There was a man by the name of C.S. Lewis who wrote um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Great apologist in the 20th century. Here's what C.S. Lewis said in his, in his move to become a, ultimately a Christ follower, move from being an atheist to a Christian. C.S. Lewis said this when debating and having a conversation about morality. He said, my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how had I gotten this idea of just and unjust? What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust. He was saying this like when I looked at the world, I said, hey, that's not fair. Have you ever said that's not fair? You ever been treated away? You said that's not right. Where did you get the standard of right? Where did you get the standard of unjust? That came somewhere. And what C.S. Lewis was saying, when I looked around and I judged things as right or wrong, when I saw things and said, well, that's unjust, that shouldn't happen. And he, he was saying, where did that come from? I'm pointing to a standard, and if there is a, every law has a lawgiver, and there is a moral law. And he was recognizing that as a person, as a human being, that this standard was somehow already on the inside of him. Here's the way the Apostle Paul says it in God's Word. In the book of Romans, he says this. <clears throat> he says in Romans chapter 2, verse 14 and verse 15, he says, When outsiders who have never heard God's law, they've never heard the Ten Commandments. They've never heard the Sermon on the Mount. When people who are outside of God's word, when outsiders who've never heard God's law follow it more or less by instinct, they confirm its truth by their obedience. They show that God's law is not something alien imposed on us from without, but woven into the very fabric of our creation. There is something deep within them that echoes God's yes and no, right or wrong. You know what he's saying? He's saying, nobody has to tell you don't steal. How many people in this room ever stole something? How many people in Lawrenceburg show? Raise your hand. How many people are liars? Because y'all who didn't raise your hand, you're liars. Raise your hand on the second one. Everybody stole something in their life. I'm just telling you, if nobody ever told you stealing is wrong, if nobody said that, you know, it's one of God's Ten Commandments, the first time you ever stole something to belong to you, as soon as you put it in your pocket, you knew it was wrong. As soon as you broke the lamp when your parents left you at home for the first time and said, don't break anything, as soon as you broke it, you knew you was wrong. You knew you was dead, but you also knew you was wrong. And when mom and dad came home and said, what happened to the lamp? And you started lying because nobody tells the truth. The dog ran through. I don't know. I was in the kitchen. All of a sudden, I heard a crash, and I came, and I just found it like that. Nobody ever tells their parents the truth when they break something. And when you're standing there lying because that little devil's on your shoulder, don't tell them the truth. They will beat you. you are, nobody has to tell you. One of God's commandments is thou shalt not lie. You know it's wrong to lie. Why? Because Paul is saying God's moral law is written on our hearts. We know it. Now, you may not follow it, and the longer you choose not to follow it, the harder your heart will get, and you will feel that conviction less, but everybody knows 
There is a moral law. God has written his law on our hearts. And so when you, as you go through this, number three, so there, every law has a lawgiver. There is a moral law. God's given it to us through his word. God's written it on our hearts. So number three, therefore, there is a moral lawgiver. This is a conversation that there is God. God is there. God is our standard. God has given us this call to live to a certain level of morality, a standard in society, a standard in our hearts of what is right and what is wrong, of what is good, what is evil, of what is dark and what is light. And so God being our creator, writing his code, writing his law in our, in our hearts, he says, hey, so there is a moral lawgiver. I am here. Now, there are conversations and debates between atheists and Christians, and one of the debates that pops up is this conversation of atheists will say, we don't need your God to be good. We don't need to believe in God to be good, and I would agree. You do not need to believe in God to be moral, but you cannot have morality without God. Let me say that again. You don't need to believe in God to be moral. You can be an atheist, I don't acknowledge God, and still make right choices, still be a civil human being. However, while you don't need to believe in God to be moral, we need God in order for there to be morality. Because if not, then you are the standard of morality or I'm the standard of morality. And there is a standard that supersedes us, that transcends humanity. It's not up to any person, any continent, any government. It is up to the God who made us and he has written that law on our hearts. Come on, somebody. Is anybody thankful for God who loved us enough to do that? And so you, you got to ask this question. And again, I want you to hear me. I knew coming in today, this is going to be a tough topic. I'm like, Lord, this is going to be deep walking through mud. But I'm just telling you, I am convinced this is a conversation that the church needs to have, that Christ followers need to have. We are being pulled along by society and being told that's okay. That's all right. That don't worry about that. Just like we're just all here to love and get along. And I'm just telling you, somebody needs to acknowledge in my life, that's not okay. As a Christ follower, that's not good. That thing that's happening over there, it's not, it's not their truth. That's evil that's darkness, that's wickedness. We need to have a standard in society and if nothing else, a standard for God's people and a standard for us personally to live to. Where do we get that from? And it's from God's morality. It's his standard that he has set for all time, for all people in all places. What's truth? And so why did God give us this standard? Why did God pass on this? Like, just let us live. I mean, come on, God, you said you're gonna give us free will and you have free will. You don't have to follow the standard. You don't have to submit to the standard. So you do have free will, but it doesn't change the standard. And so you got to ask the question, God, what, what was the point in passing on morality? What was the point in giving us standards? I'm going to give you a couple of things real quick. Number one, if you're taking notes, here's the reason God has passed on morality is morality is an expression of God's holiness. How do we know what God is like? Because God has revealed it to us in his word. We know that God is holy. He's passed on this standard and God has standards. God has right and wrong. God has established it. And it's not just who he is, but in giving us a standard and calling us to a level of morality of right and wrong, light and darkness, what God has done is not just told us a part of who he is, but he's told us a part of who we're called to be because we're made in his image. That again, morality is an expression of who he is. Do you know nine times in the Bible, the Bible says this, to be holy for I am holy. Everybody say, be holy. be holy. Now that word, probably depending on your background, is odd for a lot of us. 
Because if you came from a, if you came from an old school Pentecostal church, girls, some of you ain't never been there. You can't shave your legs, can't wear no makeup. You got to put your hair up in a bun, no, no pants. Some of you are like, thank you, Jesus, that we are not there. Some people say holiness looks like that. But at the end of the day, being holy means to live this lane, to, or to live our life in this lane that honors the standard that God set. And so when God said, be holy for I'm holy, you got to hear this because again, I'm for grace. I need grace. I'm a champion of grace. Come on, if anybody here need grace today, anybody thankful that God forgives all of our sins? I'm so thankful for that. But unfortunately, this incredible gift of grace is consistently being abused by the, by the body of Christ. Because we live however we want to live and then play the grace card. But God will forgive me. And he will. I'll say it. He will. But if we think we can say, I don't have to be holy because there's grace, you misunderstand the standard of God's word. Grace is available for people who pursue the standard, who fall short, and who humble themselves before God. Grace is not live how you want and make sure you play the grace card so one day you can get into heaven. It's saying, God, I know who you are. You're my creator and you're my savior. And this thing we're called to is not rules. It's a relationship. And God, because you're holy, I wanna be holy because I wanna honor the one who created me, the one who loved me and the one who saved me. And God, because I'm not holy the way you're holy, I'm gonna miss the mark and I'm gonna fall short. But it's not for lack of effort. It's not for lack of passion. But when I fall short, there is grace is sufficient. If I fall short once a week, if I fall short once a day, or I fall short every single minute, there is grace that's greater than all my sin. Come on, somebody. So it's not, it's not, it's not holiness or grace. It's holiness and grace. It is morality and God's goodness. It's both and. And so again, morality is an expression of God's holiness. So when we talk about morality, the thing you need to know is that God is moral, that God has standards. It's who he is. It's the essence of who he is. And he's passed it on to us. You are, you're called to be holy. So morality is not just an expression of God's holiness. Morality, this is so helpful. Morality is not just about our holiness. It's about our happiness. So God, this is so important. God's not just in heaven throwing a bunch of rules at you. Like, how can I jack their happiness up? And how can I just make sure they never have another day of fun? And like some of you grew up in church, that was your mindset. Like, everything I want to do, God won't let me. Anybody remember when you got saved? Because I got saved later as I was almost 18. When you finally get saved and you hear about the second coming of Jesus, you have all these things like, Jesus, I want you to come back, but don't come back yet. Like, I want to get my driver's license, and Lord, I'd love to have sex. Don't come back till that happens. And then you're like, Lord, I, let me live alone. Lord, I, just, Lord, if you can come back like I'm 27 and a half, if that fits in your calendar, that'd be great. Anybody remember that? Like, come on. God is not just up there trying to lay a bunch of rules on you to rob you of life. You need to know this today. When we talk about morality, a lot of us cringe and we get all tight inside because we think God is just up there trying to rob our joy and zap our happiness. He's not. He cares about your holiness, so he calls you to live to a standard. And part of the standard is not just your holiness, but your happiness. He's not just trying to keep you, give you rules. He's trying to keep you from evil, and he's trying to keep evil from you. Come on, somebody. Think, think, about, think about this for a minute. I said one of the rules in my house was don't steal. Now, if you're God, we're not. Let's just qualify that. 
But if you're God and you know all the consequences that come from people who steal, what would you say? Let me just talk for a minute about stealing and dishonesty and what it does to people and culture. When you decide to steal from somebody else, it just provokes laziness. If you can just go steal whatever you want, you don't have to work for a living. Well, one of the very first things God gave Adam was a job. In the New Testament, the Bible says if you don't work, you're, you're worse than an unbeliever. God created us to be people to live this life and to labor. And so when you choose to walk outside of the standard of having honesty, man, you're just putting your, you're saying like, I just, I don't, I'm just okay being lazy. I'm okay. You just don't, don't live in laziness. But when you choose not to be an honest person, right, it robs you of faith. Because part of my faith is that God is my provider. I don't have to go steal stuff because I have a heavenly father who knows my needs even before I ask about him. And I know he's faithful and he's going to meet every single need I have. And so when I bypass God's faithfulness through my thievery, what I'm doing is saying, I don't trust God to provide. Come on. There's a reason God wants us to be honest and it's hurting my neighbor. So imagine a society where there was no standard of honesty. I don't know if you're paying attention, but the society I'm talking about is happening right now. Thousands of people are walking in stores all over this nation, stealing whatever they want and walking out. And people are like, well, unless it's $900, we don't care. Well, God cares if it's $900 or nine cents because stealing is wrong no matter what. Stealing is wrong, not just walking in stores, taking stuff. Don't clap yet. Y'all won't like this. Stealing is taking time from your employer, taking product from your employer. Stealing happens all the time all around us. And the problem is, because what I came to talk about is shades of gray. We got these shades of morality. Well, that's wrong. We want to point what everybody else is doing is wrong. Well, there's not just standards on them. There's standards on me. And as a church, most of us are so guilty for pointing at the standards that society is failing to meet and us not living to the standards God's called us to meet. Well, you should be far more concerned about who you are than they are. And God is far more concerned about who his people are than those who are not choosing to love him and live for him. Everybody shout morality. I never thought I'd shout that word in church. There's a level that God's called us to. And again, he's, he's not just concerned with your holiness. He is concerned with your happiness. Let's have a conversation on sex since this world is absolutely out of control. Anybody can sleep with whoever they want, whenever they want, with however many people they want. Getting to the point almost where whatever age you want. Is there any, is there any standard morality? I know this isn't popular. I know society don't talk about this, but we believe because the Bible teaches that sex is reserved as a gift between one man and one woman in the context of marriage for life. Come on, God. I mean, what, what's a little sex between friends? What's it matter if I kick the tires on a couple girls before I decide the one I want to marry? Come on, God. That's old school rules. God's like, no, those are my rules. Well, God, you're just all about a bunch of rules. No, God says, I care about your happiness. Because if you're God and you knew what a lot of sex outside of marriage led to, like STDs, I ain't ever got to worry about getting an STD, ever. My wife, she never has to worry about getting an STD because the, the intimacy we have is between me and between her. There ain't a third person, fourth person, fifth person. It's just us. So if you were God and you knew that sex outside of marriage brought the potential and the possibilities of all kinds of diseases, monkeypox is one that just popped up, FYI. If you knew the heartbreak it brought, if you knew that babies 
women be impregnated with babies they don't want and left with two horrific options. Do I murder this child through abortion or do I raise this child without a father? You want to know something scary? I double dare anybody in this room, anybody in Lawrenceburg shows, just go home and Google statistics of a fatherless home. Mothers, your value to children is absolutely irreplaceable. And unfortunately, in most single parents' homes, it's the moms doing the heavy lifting. But you want to be shocked? The value of the father in a home is unmatched, even to the mother. Without a father in a home, your likelihood of not graduating, of going to jail, of being in drugs, of dying early, of dying by suicide, of committing violent crimes, goes, it skyrockets. And so if you're God, and you know if you have sex outside of marriage, you could get a sexually transmitted disease, or you get pregnant with a baby that you don't want that you're going to murder through abortion, or you're going to raise without a father. If you knew that you're going to have sex outside of marriage, if you knew all the chaos it would lead to and the heartbreak and weeping in the middle of the night, what would you say? You know what you say? Hey, you know what you should do? You should probably wait for the one person who loves you and is committed to you for life and just have sex with that person. And that's what God says, because he cares about our happiness. When you're driving down the road, nobody, nobody does it. See, we, when we look at God's standards and God's rules, we're like, what a moral monster. Who is he to control our lives? Well, how many people driving down the road sees a fence in a front yard with a little kid outside playing and says, what kind of parents are those? Moral monsters trying to control those poor little kids? Nobody says that. We look at a fence in a yard with a little kid fence and saying, that's a loving parent right there that wants to make sure that kid doesn't get outside and get hurt. And nothing gets inside of the yard and hurts the kids. That's what God's morality is about. It's not about God controlling your life and a bunch of rules to manipulate you. God's saying, you're my kid and I love you and I know more than you. I can see further than you. And if I allow you to go down that path that you want to go down, you hope I'll let you go down. He says, there's nothing down at the end of that road but hurt and heartache. And so I'm trying to keep you from that. I'm trying to keep you from evil. I'm trying to keep you from darkness. And so that's why I don't want you to do that. That's the purpose of my standard. That's the purpose of my rule. Here's another one. Why did God give us morality? Morality has to be clear for judgment to be fair. Let me say that again. Morality has to be clear. If there's going to be a standard we're held to, and there is a standard, and we will be held to it, it has to be clear. So God made sure his rule was not only written down, not only the revelation of the Bible, but God wanted to make sure his standard was written on our heart, because I want you to know something. Every single person in this room and watching this message, we will all be held to accountable to that standard. We're held accountable every day, and we will be held in ac- uh, accountable in eternity. So it's hard for God to say, hey, I'm going to hold you accountable for being an honest person if we didn't know we had to be honest. But every single one of us in this room know that honesty is the best policy. No, I'm just kidding. Everybody knows we're called to be honest. Everybody knows as society, as individuals, as Christ followers, we're called to be truthful with our words. We're called to be honest individuals. Not just because it feels right, not just because we want people to be honest with us, and not just because it's a societal standard. God said, thou shalt not lie. Paul said, No longer lie. When you become a Christ follower, you stop lying and you begin to speak the truth in love. And so this standard that he's called us to, it's it's where we know who God is and what God's like. This standard is, is not just about our holiness, it's about our happiness. And it's at the end of the day, it's because God is letting us know what his expectations are because every single one of us are gonna be held accountable. And again, I don't mean just in eternity, though in eternity. I mean right now. 
We, we face the consequences of our decisions all the time when we choose to ignore the standard that God has set. Our nation and our society is currently facing the struggles that come when you choose to ignore the standards that God has set. So I want to read a story in the last couple minutes I have, and I'm going to read this. This is a long story. I don't typically read long stories on a Sunday, uh, but there's no place to leave anything out. And I'm going to read all this because it's a good story. This would be like a... Uh, this, would be, this, this could be made into a movie. So check this out. This is a story. It's told by Solomon. Solomon is the, one of the wisest men who ever lived. He wrote the book of Proverbs, which is a book on wisdom. It's found in Proverbs chapter seven, if you want to turn there, or the, the verse is up here on the screen. And I want you to see this, how this all packs out in the conversation we're having today on morality. Watch this. Proverbs chapter seven. We're going to read from verse one all the way down to verse 27. How many people's in? How many people's in? Thank you. Some people are like, everybody else is raising their hand. I guess I have to. If I don't, I don't love Jesus. Lawrence Perkins shows how many people's in for 26 verses. Okay, here we go. Watch how it starts. Proverbs chapter uh, seven, verse one to three. Follow my advice, my son. So picture this. This is a dad. Imagine they're sitting in a, in a living room and they're sitting and imagine a big bay window. That's gonna come into play. Here's a dad trying to raise his son the right way, passing on standards, rules, and morality. He says this. He says, son, follow my advice, my son. Always treasure my commands. Obey my commands and live. Guard my instructions as you guard your own eyes. Tie them on your fingers as a reminder and write them deep within your heart. Now, he's not talking about his personal parental preferences. When he talks about commands, he's talking about God's standard of morality. The reason I know that is because a large part of what God tells his people, the nation of Israel, in the beginning is, hey, make sure you not only follow my laws, but you pass them on to your children and your children's children. So he's saying, you need to follow God's standard of morality the same way you guard your eyes, you got to guard that. Well, why? Verse five, he gives us a very practical reason. Watch this. Let them protect you from an affair with an immoral woman from listening to the flattery of a promiscuous woman. So ultimately, morality is for safety. Everybody say that. Morality is for so there's lots of reasons you should be moral. There's lots of reasons. And when you choose to ignore morality, when you choose to ignore God's standard, there are lots of consequences you can face. This story, this dad talking to his son, he just gives one, hey, here's why you want to follow God's standard. Here's why you need a moral standard in your life. One of the reasons is if you're not careful, you're going to get stuck with a promiscuous and adulterous woman. He goes on, he says, this is how it goes down. So imagine he's telling his son, and now he looks out the bay window. And he starts to paint a picture of a man walking down the street in their neighborhood on the way to meet a prostitute. That's the story we're about to read. Dun, 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 dun. He says this, while I was at the window of my house looking through the curtain, I saw some naive young man and one in particular who lacked common sense. He was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman strolling down the path of her house. And it was at twilight in the evening as deep darkness fell. So he's painting his story. He said, I'm looking out the window. He says, he says, this dude came out. I could smell the Dracar on him. What y'all know about Dracar? He said, I could smell the polo blue on him from here. He had this new outfit on. I could tell he had new kicks on and he was wandering in the bad part of town. I, so what he's saying is I could tell right away this kid was going places he shouldn't be going. He was about to hang out with people he shouldn't be hanging out with. And when you violate God's law, come on, 
You can't be upset at God for the consequences that follow people who don't follow his standard. He says, this dude's headed for trouble. In this kid's mind, this kid with no common sense on his way to see, he didn't know it was a prostitute. He's about to find out. He's got like the soundtrack playing Party Like a Rock Star. But the dad in the window, he's playing the theme from Jaws. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. I mean, like this dude, he, 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 it's not going to end well for him. Are y'all got this picture? Watch. And then he says this, verse 10. The woman approached him, seductively dressed in sly of heart. She was the brash, rebellious type, never content to stay at home. She's often in the streets and markets soliciting at every corner. And she threw her arms around him and kissed him. With a brazen look, she said, I've just made my peace offerings and fulfilled my vows. You're the one I was looking for, and I came out to find you, and here you are. You know what she's saying? I know I look like a hoe, but I'm a Christian girl. Because I've been to church, and I made my offerings. Don't, don't worry about this cleavage. Everybody does it. Because if you take a picture down you know, high enough, everybody gets to see your cleavage, and then you get some likes. Different conversation, this whole different conversation. <laughs> Dressed seductively, she got a lot of perfume on. People can smell her coming for blocks, right? We can't tell, is that a skirt or a long shirt? I can't tell. And she runs up and says, listen, don't even worry about it. I've made my, I'm a Christian girl. And not only am I a Christian girl, I want you to do this again. You're the one I was looking for. Hey, girls, listen to me. When a dude comes up to you and claims Christianity, doesn't mean you run and date him. Let him show you, not just tell you. And I want you to notice what else she said. Listen to this again. Listen, she says, you're the one I was looking for. I came out to find you. When guys trying to get with girls or girls trying to get with guys and they play the destiny card, God said, you're the one. Well, God needs to tell me that too. If God don't tell you what they say they're telling them, run. So this hoe comes out. And yes, I'm saying the words hoe and whore and prostitute because y'all need to see how real this story is. It just looked like a girl that he's like, she likes me. She's attracted to me. Here, slide in. Will you take a picture of us together? Do another one. I think I blinked because I'm going to post this. Watch verse 16. My bed is spread with beautiful blankets, with colored sheets of Egyptian linen. I perfume my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink our fill of love until morning. Sean, if you ever say that to me, I will lose my mind. <laughs> That's it. I mean, I just... Listen, stop. How many people would like, men, help me out, would like your wife to come up and like, just... <laughs> say it with like a snarl on their lip. Let's drink our fill of love until dawn. Shauna, whatever you want when this is over, you can have it. I'm sorry. <sighs> Verse 19, watch this. I don't know if you're about to catch this part. For my husband is not home. He's away on a long trip and has taken a wallet full of money with him and won't return until later this month. So she seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery. See, let me talk about shades of morality Nobody just jumps off the deep end into breaking God's law, rarely. 
But what we do is we start just kind of moving and justifying. I mean, what kind of man would leave a beautiful woman like this at home alone? She deserves a companion. I'm just going to go sit with her and just talk with her. Like, I mean, she, it's, I can't believe this dude left her for a month on a trip. I'm just going to go sit and talk with her. She deserves that. And we're just holding hands. We're just friends. Everybody needs some physical touch. I want you to notice at least the motive of the girl was always to get the guy in bed, whether he wanted it or not. But I think the guy noticed that it started with, hey, keep, keep, keep the moral standard. Well, the moral standard says there's some parts of town you just don't go to. You don't have no business in the hoe district. You have no business where prostitutes roam unless you're there to win them to Jesus. And if you have a conversation with one, you have no business going to the house. And if you go to their house, which you shouldn't, you keep, see, I'm saying you just keep, you keep changing. I'm telling you, truth is black and white. It's not shades of gray. Morality is, is black and white. It's not shades of gray. God's standards is black and white. It's not shades of gray. And when you start getting into the shades of gray, you start stepping away from holiness and you put yourself in the place where potentially you will experience pain that your creator doesn't want you to experience. And that's the reason he put the standard in place in the first place. Taking notes real quick, conviction is a result of compromise. If you're living a life and you start to sense conviction, it's because you're starting to get in shades of gray. You're starting to compromise and go directions God doesn't want you to go. Are y'all tracking with me? Watch this. Last couple verses and we're done. He followed her at once. Well, I bet he did. When you're in that deep, it's hard to get out. He followed her at once. Watch out, watch how this dad, again, this dad is talking to his little son. Son, if you break God's law, if you, if you do things your way, if you don't honor the standard, this is where it ends. He's like, it ends with me in a prostitute's bed. Tell me more, dad. No, that's not the end. I want y'all to hear this. He followed her once like an ox going to the slaughter. He was like a stag caught in a trap awaiting the arrow that would pierce his heart. He was like a bird flying into a snare, little knowing it would cost him his life. See, God's saying all you see is like people partying and having a good time and sleeping with who they want and living by whatever standard they want and truth is relative and there are no absolute morality. And God says that's how a lot of people think. And you can go where you want to go and you can sleep with who you want to sleep with. You can talk to who you want to talk with. But God says, I want you to know that I see the end. I see where it leads. And people who choose to ignore my standards and violate my rules and live with no morality, it might be fun for a season. That's what the New Testament says. Sin is fun for a season. But that season always ends. He says, this guy... It's like a bird caught in a trap, like an ox on his way to slaughter, like a stag waiting for an arrow to pierce his heart. So listen to me, my son, and pay attention to my words. Don't let your hearts stray toward her. Don't wander down her wayward path, for she has been the ruin of many. Everybody say many. Maybe not with sleeping around, but all of us in this room have experienced the pain of living outside of God's standard hurts all of us for she's been the ruin of many many men have been her victims her house is the road to the grave her bedroom is the den 
of death. There are consequences to compromise. Fudge a contract, start the lie. When you live outside of the standards of your creator, there are always consequences. And so he's given us the law on our hearts so we know what it is. He warns us along the road through conviction to keep us from the path that leads to pain. And we go all the way. He says, there's nothing waiting at the end of that road for you but death. Maybe not physically, but the death of your marriage, the death of your passion, the death of your call, the death of your family, the death of your finances, death of your career, the death of your relationship with the God who created you. When you choose to live without the rules, it'll take you a direction. You rarely want to go, but that's where it always ends. So if you're here today or you're watching this in Shoals or Lawrenceburg, I want you to know that God has a standard for you. And if you're not living that today, today's a great day to say, God, I repent. I choose today to start living life on your terms. How many people in this room maybe need to show up the boundaries of their life? Maybe they need to pull in a little bit in the standard that God set for us. Listen, if you're, if you're here, I want you to hear this today. Morality is not the gospel. It's not be good. But morality is a result of the gospel. When you give your life to Jesus, it'll cause you to begin to live a life that honors God. I'm not saying you won't struggle, but giving your life to Jesus and finding the forgiveness of your sin is the first step to finding connection with your creator in the path that he's called you to live. If you're watching this, you've never given your life to Jesus. This morning, all you have to do is say, I need a savior. I have, I've missed the mark. I have fallen short. I've been on that path. He'll forgive you today. He'll make you brand new. If you're in this room or you're in any of our campuses and you want to, today, you want to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you've not been serving the Lord in a long time and today you need to say, I need to recommit my life to Christ. I want you to lift a hand real high. Is there anybody here needs the grace that God offers? I want you to lift a hand real high. Come on, everybody's looking around. I need some, I need some Jesus. Come on. Is anybody here need to give their life to Christ? Father, we come in the name of Jesus. Lord, we're thankful for the grace that you offer when we fall short. But I pray, Lord, that you'll help every single one of us hearing this message. God, know the standard you've called us to, to be holy for you are holy. So Lord, I pray a new standard of conviction in our hearts to live the life you've called us to live. And Father, where we fall short, we turn to you and ask for the grace that only you can offer. And for every person in this room and every person hearing this or at our campus that you've never given your life to Christ, you can take that first step by saying, Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for my sin, for raising from the dead on the third day to be my Lord. I put all of my hope in you, ask you to forgive me, give me the strength to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed said amen.